Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. If you're new here and haven't been with us, we began in this series talking about this man who came from essentially nowhere, a little town that no one really knew where he was coming from. To this day, we can't find where it is. But this man came from obscurity and stood before the most powerful man in the nation, King Ahab and his wicked wife, Jezebel. And he stood before them and he didn't have fluffy words. He brought the word of the Lord, the word of truth. And he told that wicked king that unless, well, even if you do repent, essentially what he said was there was going to be a drought in this land. And until I, Elijah, give the word, there will be no rain and there will be no dew. And he said those words and walked away. And last week, we we dove into God taking this man who was in obscurity and then all of a sudden became the most well-known name in all of Israel, and God hid this man. And he hid him um, at the brook Kareth, a place where he provided for him. And we talked about how God can use ravens to provide for you. God can use things that make absolutely no sense to provide your needs because he's God. And then we also talked about that when that brook dried up, God sent him to a place called Zarephath. Everybody say Zarephath. Zarephath was a place right outside of Sidon, which is where Jezebel was from. This was God, in a sense, flexing, going, I'm going to send my prophet to the very place where this wickedness came from. And God provided for him through a a widowed woman who was not a Jewish woman. She was a Gentile. And in that day, there was no real dealings between the Jews and the Gentiles, the same way it was in the New Testament. There was not a lot of dealings between the two of them. And God sent this prophet of God to this Gentile woman who did not even have the means to provide for herself. And God said, I want you to provide for this man. So that's where we left off. We left off with this prophet showing up. Let me read it to you. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 15, God shows up, excuse me, Elijah shows up and he tells this woman, I want you to provide for me. And the woman says, I don't even have enough for myself and my son. We're getting ready to make our last meal and then we're going to die. Because of this drought, we're going to die. And Elijah says, go ahead and make the meal, but put me first. And that seems so insensitive and that seems so wrong. But what God was doing was opening up an opportunity for this woman to have faith. Because Elijah had faith. Elijah knew God is going to provide for me through this woman. But now this woman had to gain this faith. And when she did that and she put Elijah first, essentially she was really putting God first. And this is what happened. The Bible says this. First Kings chapter 17, verse 15 says this. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. So what happened here? Elijah said, if you put me first, if you put God first, he will always provide you needs. And he said, there will be no lack of olive oil. There will be no lack of flour. There will always be the provision for you if you will put him first. And she did. And guess what? That's what happened. There was no lack. She had it when everyone else around her was running dry. She had it. Why? Because she honored God. She made room for God. She created space for God. So this is where we left off with last week, this woman making room for God. Now I want you to see something that is is very interesting. There's a lot of people and a lot of stories in the Old Testament, but Jesus actually talks about this woman in the New Testament. 
Jesus brings her up as he's preaching and as he's talking. And she was not even a Jewish woman. She was not even one of them. She was not one of the chosen people. Yet Jesus brings her up and speaks highly of her. And I want to go there just for a moment because I want you to see in the, the context in which Jesus brought this woman up. Jesus was just starting his ministry. He was just beginning his ministry. And he went back to his hometown, Nazareth, which is very interesting because Nazareth was kind of a nowhereville, the same way that Tishbe was a nowhereville. Elijah was really a picture of Jesus coming from nowhere on the scene and changing everything. So Jesus goes back to Nazareth and he's, he stands up one day and he's preaching to all of these people that knew him growing up, his hometown, and he's sharing the truth of God's word with them. And they're amazed about what he's having to say. They're amazed that he speaks with such authority. He's, he wasn't speaking like someone who said, oh, I think this might be true. I think this might be true. Maybe this rabbi said this. Jesus came and saying, this is how it is. This is what God wants. And the people were so amazed by his teaching. But then they got into their own heads. Then they got into their own minds and they started asking questions like, wait a minute. I'm amazed by what you're saying, but I, I know your daddy. I know where you came from. You're not supposed to be talking like this. You're not supposed to have this authority. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Isn't this the carpenter's son? How many of you have ever had someone judge you based on who your family is? The rest of you, let me help you, they do. <laughs> if you didn't raise your hand, they certainly do. Here in the South, what's one of the first questions we ask? Hey, how are you, what do you do? How's your mama? How's your mama and them? Right? And so they knew Jesus, they knew of Jesus' family, and they're thinking to themselves, this man should not be doing this. His dad's not a rabbi. His dad was a carpenter. And this is how Jesus responds to them. Let me just say this. They are sitting there with the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of Man, the one they have been waiting for, hoping for, desiring to see in their lifetime, and he's right there in their midst, and they cannot see past what they think he should be. They can't see past the way that they want to categorize him. This is what happens, Luke chapter four, verse 22. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. Meaning, do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was, sent, was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Jesus is saying a whole lot of things here. There's a lot of rich things in what he was saying, but let me just point out a couple of them so that you get it, so that you see. Number one, he's prophesying what is going to happen. He is telling them what they're going to do. Well, how would he know that? Because he already knew what was in their hearts. See, sometimes you don't have to see the fruit of a person's actions whenever you see what's in their heart. Because when you see what's in their heart, you can already tell what's gonna happen with their actions. Because their actions are only lying, are coming from what's in their heart. And Jesus is prophesying to them, this is what you're going to do. Because you're not recognizing who I am. He's telling them this is what's going to happen. And this is what they said at a, a later visit that he came to them. The book of Matthew tells us about that. But it's also what was said of him right before they crucified him. Jesus knew what was in their hearts. And knew what they were going to say. But he was also letting them know something through this. He was telling them that this salvation, that the kingdom of God was not going to only be for the Jews. And that's not something that they wanted to hear. 
Jesus is saying this salvation, this kingdom, my blood is going to be shed not only for you, the Jewish people, but I'm getting ready to spread my kingdom all throughout the world. And they're going to receive it and they're going to make room for it where you wouldn't. You who should know will reject me. You who've wanted me to come will reject me. Jesus is saying this salvation is going to come to the Gentiles the same way that when Elijah showed up, he didn't go to the people of Israel. He went to the Gentiles. And they made room for him. Are y'all with me so far? Stay, stay with me. Keep tracking. There's something special about making room for God. There's something powerful about creating space for God to move in your life, for opening up your heart, opening up your lives, for God to actually come and move. This woman made room for God. The Sidonian woman, this woman from Zarephath, she made room for the prophet. And because of that, God moved. Now, Matthew chapter 10, verse 4, this is why, this is what the, why the Bible says this. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. He said, anyone who receives you receives me. He's talking to his disciples. He says, anyone who receives you receives me. And anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. What's the first thing that Elijah asked that woman for? A cup of water. What did Jesus ask the Samaritan woman for? A cup of water. There's a principle here. God is saying, Jesus is saying, when you receive those who I've sent, you're receiving me. When you receive those who bring my word, you're receiving me. When you receive the words that are coming, not from them, from God, you're receiving me. Now, let me just say this. I, I get it. I already know some of y'all are going, do, 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 wait, wait. That's been misused, pastor. That's been manipulated, pastor. Can I be honest? You're right. It has been. There have been people who have misused this, and that's sad, and it's wrong. But it does not change the principle, and it does not mean that it's not true. Just because it's been manipulated and it's been twisted and people have misused it, guess what? Every single person who has misused that has to stand before God for misusing that. That's the truth. But it does not change Jesus' words. Jesus is saying, when you receive those who speak on my behalf, you're receiving me. And you're receiving my word. What's the point I'm trying to make? This woman, when she received the prophet, she was receiving God. When she made room for the prophet, she was making room for God. Are y'all with me this morning? That's what was really happening. She was creating space, making room for God. And in doing this, God provided for her. When everyone else was struggling, God provided for her. Because in this Gentile land, where they worship these false idols, there was a light in the middle of that darkness. And that light was shining in her home. And there was provision and there was blessing. Now track with me, I'm going somewhere with this. In doing this, she made room for God. There's something I want you to see, though. Even in making room for God, there were still problems. There were still hardships. Tough things still happened in her life. There's, and there's a saying that I've heard people say, even famous people say, if God is for me, can nobody be against me? Can I be honest? That's not what it says. It's not what it says at all. What it says is, if God is for you, who can be against you? Meaning, if God is for you, he is more than those who are against you. It does not mean that there won't be those who are against you. 
The, the Bible speaking in the Old Testament, talking to God's people, it says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It doesn't say that the weapons won't be formed against you. The weapons will be formed against you. That weapon that was formed against them just didn't prosper. There will be those who are against you. There will be problems. But if you are making space and making room for God, you'll thank God that he did even when the problems come. Even when the problems come. This is what's about to happen in this woman's life, in her story. I want you to see this because this is so, I really believe this is going to minister to some hearts this morning. Verse 17, this is what it says. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally, he died. Wait a minute, Pastor. God is in their midst. She made room for God. A miracle was taking place on a daily basis. God was literally supernaturally providing. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine just for a moment. All of a sudden, our economy completely tanks. And there is no food in Walmart anymore. There's not even food in New News. And there's nothing there. Come on, some of y'all knew exactly where to go when there was no toilet paper. Come on, you know. I got a cousin and they have a space over there. They, they, they'll call me, there's some toilet paper, come get it. Which is a whole nother message. I'm not gonna get into why that. But I want you to imagine there is, there's a famine in our land and there's no provisions anywhere. But every day that you go home, there's rice and it never runs out. And there's a, and some of y'all aren't gonna like this, but a canned jar of roux. <laughs> and it never runs out and it tastes just as good as your mama's. <laughs> and you can't quite explain it, but every night you make a gumbo and you use it all and the next morning you show up, it's full again. Every day this is happening, every single day. And your friends, you see them losing weight, you see people going hungry, you see the news going insane, you see all of these things, yet every day you come home, there's rice and there's roux. There's rice and there's roux. That's what it was like for this woman. God was supernaturally providing for her every single day of her life. He was with her. He was in her midst. And Elijah was there. And she made room for Elijah. She provided for Elijah while God provided for her. Now to Elijah's credit, I gotta be honest, he was not a Cajun. This is how I know he was not a Cajun. It was the same meal every day and he never complained. <laughs> he didn't go, Lord, can we get some chicken sausage? I mean, he never complained because God was providing for him. There was no complaints from either one of them while God was providing supernaturally for them. She was receiving, don't miss this, she was receiving the prophet's reward because she received the prophet. She was receiving his reward, but yet the unthinkable happens. The thing that we all dread and hope never happens to us. That is a pain that we hope never has to be felt. And I'll be honest, there, I've watched people who I dearly love lose a child and there's no pain like that. It, just ne it never seems right for a, a parent to bury their child. Yet here's this woman who opened up for God to move in her midst, created space for the prophet and was receiving his reward and yet the unthinkable takes place and her son dies. That will mess with your theology. 
That will mess with your understanding of God. That will cause you to ask questions that you would have never asked before. This is her. Just think, just, just track with me for a moment. She had already resolved in her heart before Elijah came, because this is what she told Elijah. She said, I'm getting ready to make my last meal and then me and my son are going to die. She had already resolved it in her heart that her and her son were getting ready to die. Are y'all with me? It was already set. We're gonna make this meal, we're gonna pass away, we're gonna die. And then God shows up in their midst and then God changes that whole thing. Why would God change that whole thing if his only plan was for her son to die anyway? didn't make any sense. God, why? Why would would you do this? Again, I'll say this. God doesn't always make sense. Can I be very transparent with you? We don't always understand what God is doing. There are times that as a pastor, I can point people to the hope that they should have. I, should, I can point people to, I believe this is what God is doing in your life. And then there's moments as a pastor, if I'm just being honest, I go, I don't know. I don't know why that happened. I don't understand it either. But what I can tell you is even in the middle of that, he's still good. He's still good. His nature doesn't change. And I've met with people in some of the darkest moments of their life. And I don't know how this works. I don't know how this fleshes itself out. But I watch it happen. And I've seen it happen multiple times where I tell someone, if you trust God, you will see Romans 8, 28. What is that? He works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Meaning even the darkest moments in your life, God can take that darkness and turn it around for your good so that by the time you lay your head down in eternal rest, you can say, he is good and that was good. This is who he is. It's how he works. But I'll tell you what it doesn't change. It doesn't change the questions. See, pain... Pain has a way of making us, like I said before, ask questions that we would not normally ask. It just has a way. Verse 18, this is what it says. After this woman lost her son, she went back to the prophet. Verse 18, then she said to Elijah, oh man of God, listen to this, don't miss this. What have you done to me? What have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? Pain just has a way of making us lose sight of reality when all we see is our hurt, all we see is our pain. I preached a message years ago called the pain question. The pain question. Let me go, let me go back to this. Let me, let me, I want to make this point. God, this is what our hearts will express. God, I know what you said, but God, I know how I feel. I know what your word says, but I don't feel this way. She was literally, she'd probably just eaten the meal that God provided for her when she said this to Elijah. What have you done to me? Did you come here to point out my sins and kill me? Clearly that was not God's plan. But our pain will cause us to see things through the lens of that pain. Again, going back to that message that I I preached years ago on the pain question. It was about John the Baptist. A man who was Jesus' cousin. A man who baptized Jesus 
who probably saw the dove ascend down, the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove, who heard the voice of God speak publicly and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. A man who when he saw him said, this is, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A man who said, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. I'm not worthy to do these things. A man who took his disciples and sent them to follow Jesus. A man who Jesus said, don't miss this, who Jesus himself said, that is the greatest man to ever live. That is the greatest prophet to ever live. Yet those who are in the kingdom of heaven, the least are greater than he. Jesus was saying that is the culmination of the Old Testament wrapped up in one man. Yet that man of such great faith, the moment he was put in prison, the moment the attention was no longer on him, the moment that he felt forgotten by God, the moment that he felt forgotten by people began asking himself, is this really it? Jesus, are you really who you said you are? God, I, I know what I saw. I know all of those things. I remember all of that stuff. But God, I'm hurting. Where are you? I'm not feeling like I used to feel. God, where are you? And John the Baptist sent some of his followers to ask him, are you really the one? Or is there another one coming? Because I'm not feeling this. And I love Jesus. Jesus' response to his disciples and his response to John was this. He said, you go back and you tell John, blind eyes are open, the sick are healed, the oppressed are being set free. I am the one. And as soon as they leave, and I never quite understood this, as soon as they leave, that's when Jesus complimented John. He didn't compliment John to John. He didn't send his disciples back to fill John's head. Well, John, you were great. You were amazing. He complimented him after the fact. Sometimes God will put us in a position where he does not always express how he feels about us to us in that moment. But I promise you this, when John walked into glory, he got his reward. And he knew exactly how God felt about him. Listen, there are going to be times, church, where you're not feeling it. There are going to be times where you're asking questions just like this woman going, God, what are you doing? God, I don't understand this. God, where are you? Gosh, let me keep going. Let me keep going. There's so much here. He's providing for her. He's doing all of these things. I love Elijah's response, and I think this is very telling of Jesus' heart for us, even when we're in the middle of pain. This is Elijah's response. Verse 19. But Elijah replied, give me your son. That's all he said. Give me your son. He didn't defend himself. Elijah didn't say, look at this bread that you're eating. If I wanted to kill you, you wouldn't be eating this. He didn't say, you're a Gentile. I shouldn't even be here. He didn't do any of that. He simply said, give me your son. I know you're hurting. I know you're in pain. Give me the pain. Give me the hurt. See, this makes me think of, I know I'm giving you examples from all over the place, but please track with me. Don't miss this. Makes me think about Mary and Martha in the Bible. Who the Bible says, Jesus loved this family. He loved Mary, he loved Martha, and he loved their brother Lazarus. Yet Lazarus died. And while he was sick, Mary and Martha sent for Jesus, saying, our brother is sick. The one you love is sick. Will you please come and heal him? And Jesus didn't come. He didn't show up. Until Lazarus died. And then he shows up. And Martha, being the bold woman that she was, walks right up to Jesus in the middle of her pain and she says, Lord, 
If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Again, pain has a way of making us ask questions and say things that would normally not come out of our heart, but trust me, it's in there. It's in there. And she expressed to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, this would not have happened. You want to know what Jesus' response was? I'll tell you what it was. And woman, do you know who you're talking to? It wasn't, you're getting ready to see what I'm getting ready to do. If you would have just trusted me this whole time, that's not what, he, that's not what happened at all. The very next verse, you know what Jesus' response was? It was the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He wept. He didn't correct her. He didn't address her. He didn't rebuke her. He felt the pain and he felt the burden. Just like Elijah simply said, give me your son. Let me help you. God knows when you're in pain and he's not offended by your pain. He's not offended by your questions. There's, I tell this and I say this to people in funerals all the time. There's a difference between asking God a question and questioning God. And there are moments when in our pain and in our misunderstanding of who God is that we're asking him questions that feel disrespectful, that feel dishonoring. It feels like, God, I can't believe I'm even going there. And I want you to know something. He understands your pain. He knows your pain. He was touched with your pain. He felt your pain. The reason why Jesus, listen, in that moment, the reason why Jesus wept was not just for them. I believe it was in that moment that Jesus was feeling the grief and the pain of every death that had ever happened since the beginning of death. Because he was getting ready to take the sting of death and defeat it. He felt that pain. He felt that hurt. He felt that. That hasn't changed. He still feels yours. When you're questioning and you're going, God, I can't believe this happened. He's not up there going. He's saying, give me that pain. The same way he told that woman, give me your son. For some of you today, this morning, he's saying, give me that pain. Give me that question. Give me that thing you don't understand. Give me that loss of that family member that you've been holding on to. Give me that anger that you've been holding towards me as God because of what happened. Give it to me. Give it to me. I want it. He feels your pain, church. Are y'all with me this morning? He feels your pain. Jesus wept. He wasn't offended by their pain. He dealt mercifully with Martha and with Mary and with Lazarus. What happened? He went and he raised Lazarus from the dead. What happened with Elijah? He dealt mercifully with this woman. He, this is a, this Elijah is a bad man. I want you to see this. He's a bad man. There's more stories that we're going to get into about this man calling fire down from heaven and it actually happening. Some of y'all call fire down and nothing happens. <laughs> Except you get angry and have to get on high blood pressure pills. <laughs> He called fire down and it happened. He said, no rain, no dew, and it happened. If he got upset, bad things could have happened to this woman. But he dealt mercifully with her. Jesus deals mercifully with us. I want you to see this. This is so interesting. Let me ask you this question first. Do you serve people well who are in pain? Do you serve people well who are in pain? Do you recognize when a person is speaking out of their pain, not speaking out of their accurate view of you? Because there will be times that people will address you and they will speak to you and they're not even talking to you. They're talking to the people who've hurt them for the last 20 years of their life. There'll be moments where they will react to you because one thing about you reminds you of something else that happened to them. And that's, is that fair? Is that right? Of course not. But we've got to deal mercifully with people. Hurt people hurt people. But healed people heal people. Heal people heal people. 
You're gentle with those who are in weak moments. He says, give me your son. Verse 19, but Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried up, carried, excuse me, him up the stairs to the room where he was staying and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord. Listen to that. He didn't pray a nice prayer. The Bible talks about him in James. He was a man who earnestly prayed. He was an example of us to follow in prayer. Elijah cried out to the Lord, oh Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? What did Elijah just do? He interceded for her. He got right in the middle of that and he brought her problem to God. See, our prayer lives should not just consist of prayers for ourselves. Some of us have very short prayer times because whenever we're done asking for stuff for us, we're done. God, I need this. I need my, my wife to act right. I need, I need my husband to not be a moron today. Lord, I'm asking for a supernatural miracle. I need my kids to obey. <laughs> and we're asking for those types of things. And then our prayer time is done and we go, oh, well, I'm done. But I want you to see something. We're called as children of God to intercede. To pray, to, oh, I can't wait to get to this point. To, inter, to get right in the middle of a tension. That's what an, inter, an intercession, that's what intercession is. You get between two factions and you intercede on behalf of both. Elijah was a rare breed of person who was interceding on behalf of both. What am I talking about? When Elijah went to King Ahab, he was interceding on God's behalf to the nation of Israel. He spoke on God's behalf to the people. And he said, this is what God wants to do. And for his honor and for his justice and for his name, I'm going to speak on his behalf to the people. But in this instance, we see that role reverse. And now he is interceding to God on behalf of the people. He's saying, God, this woman, move on her behalf. That is who we're called to be, church. Jesus said this. He said, when you're praying, you need to pray like this. God, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring God's will, what he wants to happen, into fruition in the world, in people's circumstances. And there are moments and there are times where you are bringing God, this person, where, listen, don't, gosh, don't miss this. What he's saying is, these people, yes, their sin caused this. Yes, their sins cause this consequence. Not all the time, but in some instances, yes, they're reaping the, co the consequences of their own actions. But God, I'm interceding on their behalf because of your great mercy. Move on their behalf. Move on their behalf. God, I know that the reason there's even death in the world right now is because we brought it. When Adam and Eve ate that fruit and brought death into the world, God, we did this, but in your great mercy, intercede on our behalf. Elijah was in that tension between the both. He was an inner, he was an, a prayer warrior, an intercessor. Church, we're called to be that. We're called to stand in the gap. We're called to preach God's truth for his glory and for his honor. And we're called to bring people's needs and bring them to God. Who have you been praying for lately? Whose needs have you been holding up to God? There are moments where as a pastor, if I had no heart, it'd be very, it'd be almost easier to do this job. If I didn't have compassion and love for people, it'd almost be easier to do this job because it's the moments when someone's heart is broken and all I want to do is cry with them and hold them and hug them and tell them it's going to be okay. That's what drives me to be there for them. And that's what drives me to pray for them. Pastor Paul, is what I'm saying true? 
We move because our hearts are moved. Elijah moved because his heart was moved. Jesus moved because his heart was moved. When is the last time your heart has been moved for someone else's need? For someone else's burden to intercede on their behalf. Let me keep going. I just had never seen that before. Elijah was right smack dab in the middle of that tension. And he brought God's word, but he also brought the pain of people. Verse 21. And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, Oh Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. This is, I want you to see this. This is the very first time in all of the Bible where someone was brought back to life. There was no precedence for this. This is the first time. It was not the last time. Jesus came and he rose three people from the dead before he himself was risen from the dead. But in this moment, this was unthinkable. This was not even in the mind of this woman. And there were many reasons why this took place. But I want to share with you one very important reason why this took place. Because this woman made room for God. Even in her pain, she made room for God. If she would have rejected Elijah, there would have been no multiplied oil or flour. And her and her son would have perished. But if she would have just said, God, thank you for the, the jar of canned roux and the rice. Thank you, God, for that. Elijah, peace. I'll see you out. If you need anything, please call. I believe she made a space for him to come and live with her so that she could provide for him. If she would not have made that space for him when her son perished, God wouldn't have moved on her behalf. She made room for God. She created space for God. We need to create space for God in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our intellect, in our finances. We need to make space for God. Why? Because like Michelle, Miss Michelle Aranza always says, you never know what's on the other side of your obedience. You never know how God is going to provide or take care of or move on your behalf when you simply make room for him and say, yes, Lord, whatever you want to do. What do you want to do? I don't understand it, but I'll trust you. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'll follow you. The numbers aren't lining up, but I'll trust you. They're not, they're not changing God, but I will trust you. Never know what's on the other side of your obedience. The Bible tells us make room for him, create space for him. Listen, create time in your day for God. Why? So you can learn to hear his voice. Create space, time for God so that you can know what his word actually says to you. Create space for him in your finances. This is not a tithing message but you need to honor God and put him first with your finances. Some of you are like, God, it's just this lack, this lack, this lack, this lack. My question would be, are you putting him first? Are you honoring him first? We're launching something and, and Hannah and I mentioned it to you earlier, calling counter nights here at the church. We're gonna open up space on Sunday nights here at the church. And we have one agenda. We're not launching small groups out of it. We're not getting people to be on our serves team. There's nothing wrong with those things. Those are all important things that you need. But that's not the agenda of this meeting. It's not for me to preach to you. We have one agenda on these encounter nights. Make space for God to move. That's it. That's it. Create a space 
where heaven can touch earth and earth can bring its intercession to heaven. That's what we're doing. So I encourage you, come. Come be a part of that on Sunday Sunday nights. We don't want it to be business as usual. And some of us, that's our problem. We, we get into our patterns and we create our rhythms in life and we never create space for God in our lives. I don't know when I'm going to pray. Guess what? You have the same 24 hours in a day as everyone else in this room. Create space for God. We don't want business as usual. We want God to move. We want God to move. I'll say this as well. When you're hearing the word of God preached or you're reading the Bible and opening it up and these words are coming to you, whatever you do, don't treat them as common because in that word has the power to transform your life. In that word holds the power to move in your circumstances and what's going on in your life. In that word has the power, there's the power to renew your mind, to start to actually see things clearly. Sometimes we need those moments, those epiphanies where all of a sudden we're reading and God, I see it now. I never saw it before. But you've got to create space for that. Some of you, your mind's on being renewed because you're not letting your mind be renewed. You're not putting in your mind the thing that you need to renew it. Create space for God. Verse 24. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. She made room. She made room. When God comes, when the word of the Lord comes, it makes demands. It does. God's word will make demands on our life the same way that Elijah the prophet came and made a demand on the woman. He shows up, she doesn't know him, and he says, hey, go make that cake, but give me one first. That wasn't for Elijah. That was for God. God's word will put demands on us. God's bad things will happen even when God is in our midst and God is moving. But great is your reward if you make space for him. Great is your reward if you obey him. Great is your reward if you will trust him. In Romans 8, 28, you will see it happen in the land of the living, in your lifetime, if you will trust him. He will work all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Make space for God. Make room for God. If you will, please close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to pray for you this morning. If you're here this morning, nobody looking around, every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're here this morning and you are in that place that I talked about, maybe you're hurting from grief. Maybe you're hurting because it's just a bunch of questions in your mind that you don't feel like God has answered and you don't know why. I want to intercede on your behalf. I want us as a church to pray for you. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know. I'm in a rough place and I'm questioning God. I want to pray for you. If you want, Will, just lift up your hand to heaven. Nobody, nobody looking around. Just lift it up. Just be honest, you and God, and say, I don't get it. Come on, lift them up. Lift them up. Lift them up. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Lift them up. Hands all over this room. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down. Church, I want you to pray with me as I intercede on behalf. Let's intercede on their behalf. Father God, move on their behalf. God, I'm asking that you give them wisdom and insight. You told us in your word that if any of us lack wisdom, we could ask of you and you would give it freely. You would give it liberally and you would not correct us for our lack of wisdom and our lack of understanding. I'm asking that you give wisdom, but I'm also asking that you heal hearts. There's pain in this room, God. There is lack in this room. There's questions in this room. There is hurt in this room. God, I'm asking, move on behalf of your people. 
your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, bring what you desire to happen in their life. God, I'm asking that you would be merciful to them. You would be kind to them. Those who are reaping even the consequences of their own sin, God, I pray that you would move on their behalf and grant them mercy, give them grace, carry them through this. For those that you're teaching them something in this moment, I'm reminded of the words of Paul who said, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient for them. Even before the answers come, your grace is sufficient. And I ask that right where they're at, that they make room for you and you move on their behalf. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. The church, I want to pray for you again, but this time, before, I'm, before you rush out, this is very vitally important. There are certain people in this room you are just flat out far away from God. You're not born again. And we talk about being born again all the time here. And it's a very simple process, the process to be born again. A, you have to admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner. That there's sin in your life that separates you from a holy God. B, you believe. Believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on that cross for you so that your sins could be forgiven. And see, you confess. You confess what? That Jesus is now Lord of your life. Simply put, let me give you the simplest way that I can say this. This is the call to be born again. Are you ready? Jesus is saying this to you. Come follow me. Come follow me. So again, with no one looking around, if you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be born again today. I want to follow Jesus with my life. Some of those consequences and those things you've been talking about, I'm facing right now and I need God's mercy. You want today to be the day that your life changes forever and you're born again. With no one looking around, I just want to pray for you and I want to know who I'm praying for. And to come through, I want you to just lift up your hand. One, two, three, lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand back there. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Praise God. You can put them now. Church, I want you to pray this prayer with me. I'm going to pray a prayer. There's nothing magical about the words. It's simply a prayer of surrender to God. This is your way of saying, I'm going to follow you. Say these words with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross. You died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go there. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on this earth, and a relationship with the Father. So I repent of my sin. I turn away from it. And I'm going to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. And Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer today.